drugs for me was a, an easy out. If I didn't like the way I feel, I could just do more. Well, how was that dealing with a death in your oh, family? I, 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 was, I was horrible. I mean, I, was, I could not console my wife. Here I am, a grown man, 42 years old, and I'm lying to a seven-year-old to protect my behavior. Quote, when I'm at the bottom looking up, the main question may not be, how do I get out of this hole? In reality, the main question might be, how do I get rid of the shovel that I use to dig the hole? Craig D. Lounsbro. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who said, when you're in a hole, stop digging. But how do I do that? How do I stop digging? In the Bible, Paul the Apostle says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Romans 7, 15 through 19. Have you ever been stuck in a miserable place doing the same destructive things over and over again? What causes this insanity? How do I break out of that cycle? These are just some of the questions that I want to ask our guest today as he tells his life change story. I'm Eric Hutchinson. Welcome to the If Nothing Changes podcast. Hey friend, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit something about yourself. Yes, my name's Craig. I've lived in Northwest Arkansas since 1983. So, Craig, you've got a white beard. I know our listeners can't see that, and you mentioned the Santa Claus resemblance. And so I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer this, but how old are you? I'm 72. You're 72, so you're almost old enough to be my dad. I'm like Methuselah. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit of your childhood, of your past, where you were born, and kind of uh, your family or your siblings? How many, you know, how many siblings did you have, and your parents, and that sort of thing? Okay. So I was born up north in a small community called Ashland, Ohio. My dad's an Okie. And after World War II, he wanted to get out of Oklahoma, so he moved to, um, well, he was working in the agricultural industry, worked for a, a pump manufacturer, Myers Pumps, which is based in Ashland, Ohio, and that's where he met my mom. Uh, and we moved back south in 1963, and so I grew up at, primarily in Texas, a little bit in Oklahoma. My, um, my granddad, great, sorry, my great-granddad was an 89er, I don't know if you know much about Oklahoma history, but... Um, sooner that, that whole legacy, but, uh, it had a big imprint on me, just the family land in Cleveland County, which is just South of Norman, uh, Oklahoma. So, so you're gonna have to explain 89 or I really don't know what that is. Is that a uh, mining it was thing? A land or rush, or, oh, the land, land rush. Gold so, or oil? Or? No, 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 they, it was when they, uh, we're opening up the Oklahoma Indian territory to white settlement. Mm -hmm. They would have land rushes where you go stake claims and you could claim 160 acres, and you had to make improvements. So he, he, my granddad and, and his brothers lived on the 160 acres plus another 160 he had bought uh, their whole lives. They all lived within a stone throw of each other, just about. And so, yeah, that. So as a kid, I, I would spend a lot of time with cousins at the family farm. You know, so in Oklahoma, yeah. in Oklahoma. Yeah. So you started in Ohio, born there, right. moved to Texas, then Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of well, the order? Uh, just summers in Oklahoma, you know, just hanging out with 
grandparents and all that stuff. So were you close to your grandparents? Um, pretty close to my granddad. Yeah, yeah. We saw him a lot, you know, because I think my dad had been gone so much that almost every opportunity. It was maybe a four-hour drive from the suburbs of Dallas to to uh, Lexington, Oklahoma is actually the nearest big city. <laughs> but um, so I think he just had every opportunity he had. We were up there, so we, I spent a lot of time in Oklahoma as a kid. So how many siblings do you have? I have two brothers. One's a half-brother that's 10 years older than me, and the other's a full brother that's about a year and a half older than me. they still living? Both are still living. Now, my full brother, um, and, and, and here, in fairness, he's never been diagnosed, but um, I think it's pretty evident he has Asperger's. He's on the autistic spectrum somewhere. And so it was just very awkward I can remember as probably as young as five or six going, why won't my brother play with me? Mm. Why, why don't we interact? Why don't we connect at all? You know, And, of course, this is late 50s, early 60s, rural areas. There weren't even a name for it, much less any support and help. You know, Right. And, um, but my brother is very gifted at math, and uh, my mom – keyed in on that and she kind of and to her credit she said not on my watch so she helped him develop that skill and he went on and he has a very full and functional life but he just never developed long-term relationships right struggled Uh, with the relationship skills right right? and and also the fact that our family didn't want the world to know that my brother was had was anywhere anything different we spent a lot of time and energy covering for that and that was almost kind of a focus, but we never, never, ever talked about it. So when you say covering, I mean, you... Well, present a, that everything is fine, everything's normal. There's nothing strange about the, the relationships in our family. And so there was no really way to deal with it. Right. Because did, we didn't recognize it. We didn't speak it, you know, yeah. and that's that was... And that's just... Substance abuse runs in my my father's family... Pretty deeply. Most of my cousins have struggled with substance abuse. Hmm. Uh, several have spent many years in Oklahoma State prisons. And I think a lot of it is we just never talked about that stuff. And that's just, the, and I don't know whether that's general through my family or just my, my particular parents, but I, I never, we never, I can never have an emotional discussion uh, Growing up in that household, we just we just didn't talk about anything. Yeah. Yeah. How did that impact Craig? Did you uh, did that say anything to you about who you were, or or uh, or did you just kind of say, well, that's just the way things are, and just gonna <laughs> be on my own? Yeah, I probably accepted it just being my family. Just that's the way things are. But you know, you de- de- develop defense mechanisms, so isolation, um, reading, music became escapes. Because I had no connection within my family, so I mean, I, you know, that that was kind of my go-to. And then as a teenager, I discovered drugs, and drugs is a perfect way to kind of put up walls and isolate, and and that way the world can't hurt you. It's just kind of out there on the other side of a foggy wall. So, so how was so how old were you whenever you first uh, started uh, experimenting late, with drugs? Late teens, eight, 17, 18. I was working. I started working pretty much full-time as a senior in high school, but um, I, mean, I liked the money and I liked the independence. Um, and it, But it was during that time that I started experimenting with drugs and got fairly deep into it. 
you know, marijuana was my first and, and, and longest lasting love. But, um, that area was just flooded with drugs. And, And I grew up around friends and family that that's, what you did. So was alcohol so, a part of that or not necessarily? A part, but you know, it was just one of the many drugs that I abused. I, it just it seemed like I didn't really meet a drug I didn't like, you know? <laughs> and, and so uh, there were times I abused alcohol, but it was not my drug of choice. So, yeah. so let me ask you this, was it uh, medication? And what I mean by medication, were you, did you use the drugs or the alcohol or both to escape some reality that you didn't want to mess with or that, or maybe some pain or hurt, or was it just having a good time? No. Well, I mean, initially probably there was some just fun involved in it, but uh, the, the real, I've often said I didn't have a problem with drugs. Drugs was, drugs was my answer to the problem. My problem was I didn't know how to handle emotions. And so drugs for me was a, an easy out. If I didn't like the way I feel, I could just do more. I'll give you a perfect example. My dad passed away. When I was relatively young, he's, I was 25. He was uh, 67 when he passed away. Uh, and so I was already using drugs, but my solution was more drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So it, would, it really sh- sh- short-changed my grieving process. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of the one of the, and I, and I want to oversimplify substance abuse, but for me, one, one of the drivers was that it, it was a coping skill to figure out, I don't know what to, I didn't even know the names of some emotions, much less how to handle them, right? right? So it's just a cheap out. Did you go to college or did you just get right into the workforce? How did that, where, where did you transition? Uh, yeah, I, I finished high school and start, was working already pretty much full time, but I did dabble in college, went to North Texas State, and then in 1970 moved to Austin, Texas. And surprisingly, I was able to, get a four-year degree in six years, but I, I did finish uh, school, um, and um, yeah. So I'm going to stop you there and ask, did you have any God experiences growing up? Um, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't ask you if your parents were Christians or if right. you, did you have any exposure to, to God at all growing up? Some, yeah. And I, I'm very thankful for little old ladies that pound scripture in the head of kids at Vacation Bible School, because that was a big chunk of it. My my mom was a believer. I, I can't say if my dad was or not because we didn't really talk about stuff. And, and my mom, I only know from later discussions in life. We would go to church sometimes, but, you know, it was more of a social thing mm-hmm. as far as I could tell. And it really held no appeal to me. When I started working full time, I was, at, you know, I was a cafeteria after church rush is a big part of the weekend business in a so I had to be in work early and work late on Sundays, and so and I'd rather make the money because, to me, I didn't religion didn't have any appeal. So, so when did you meet? And I don't know how many whether you've been married once, twice, or you know when did you did you ever get married during the twenties or was it later? I did. Okay. Uh, I, I met my wife at we went to high school together. There were we're still in fact we were talking about having a reunion about all of us people that run to, ran together in high school here this fall, um, but. Uh, we we shared a, we were lab partners in biology, um, and so I've and I know knew her family. I've known so I've known her or her family since I was probably about sixteen, uh, but we didn't get married until I was twenty one. 
But, um, you know, uh, I was in and out of college. Like I said, it took me six years to get a four-year degree. Uh, and I would work construction. And we were, I was in Dallas working construction. And I just said, let's get married. So we went down to the courthouse and got So you got married, married at the courthouse? Yeah, f- 51 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So, you know, you mentioned not being able to express your emotions or really even know how to process or do with that. So uh, young Craig... He falls in love with his, you know, the girl from high school and, and you guys, you know, I guess dated and then you got married. So did any of this, does any of those dysfunctions that you recognize now in your youth, did any of those things follow you into your marriage? Well, surely not sharing your emotions is going to work well in a marriage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it did. It can't help but. Because that's a, as as close an intimate relationship as you're going to have with a human being, and if you're not willing to be totally open and transparent in that relationship, it's it's just it's going to it's going to cause problems. For me, I mean, I would hide my substance abuse. She was pretty. She didn't. She knew that I, I used drugs some, but she had no idea of the scale or that I was dealing or and stuff like that. I kept that all that hidden, which is just part of that whole kind of way I handled life. I'm not going to. Keep keep under the radar right. and not share my emotions, not share what's going on, and yeah. And then yeah I was going to ask you if she knew any of that. Whenever you know, did she no. knew that you? She, she didn't know the scale. For I mean, she I mean, she we all hang out, hung out together in high school, so we're all in the same crowd. Um, but you know, especially once she got pregnant, she wouldn't drink or anything, you know. And so, but uh, that didn't slow me down much. So, so you brought up her getting pregnant. So how many kids do you have? And when, so when did she get pregnant? Was it right after, I mean, soon after you were married or was it uh, several years? No, it was, it was quite a few years, but I mean, we lost our first child Mm -hmm. uh, uh, at about three months. Uh, But we we were fortunate enough to have two more boys. Um, They're 35 and 33 now. Well, how was that dealing with a death in your family? I, I was, I was horrible. I mean, I was, I could not console my wife. My, you know, I went to my normal thing, which is go, go in a room and play the guitar. And, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's sad when I look back, it's just sad that, you know, but I didn't have the skills uh, I didn't, I, I knew what I knew. Right. I knew what to do. Only I know, knew what to do, what I knew. And so, yeah, yeah it wasn't, it wasn't good. That's hard. So you had your second child, uh-huh. um, and that's a boy, correct? Right. Both yeah, are boys. Yeah. Yes. So you had your child. Was there anything that you know? Hey, I'm a father now. I need to be a little bit more responsible. Right. Or was the drugs and alcohol just? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, I mean, you know, drugs has a, a wonderful way of lying to you and telling me, oh, you can do this. You know that there's no no effect. But all I have to do is look at my family and see the train wreck and, and, and lives of a lot of my cousins. And, and, I, and so I, well, I'm, I can distinctly remember when my older son was born, which was at 85, uh, sitting on the back porch of my business, getting high and going, I got to stop this. I got to, because I know my family history. The substance abuse is pretty ra- widespread in, in my family. And I'm going, I'm modeling this for these little boys or this boy I'm, I'm really would, would like not to, but I try to start, I started trying to stop 
and uh, it was seven years before I got clean. So you tried to stop, right? Right. So you realized that this was not something that you wanted to continue right. and that there was a problem, right. but you didn't know how to stop, right? right? So you, you white knuckled it is what we call right. it, right? So, but you, you said it was seven years before. Yeah, I'd, I'd make it two weeks, maybe three weeks on my own. And then it'd be a good day or a bad day or whatever the excuse was, you know, Yeah. And I was back at it, you know, and then I try again, you know? After seven years of that, I, I kind of came to the realization that if I could fix this myself, I would have done it. I'm 42 years old or whatever, you know. So for you, did you have a rock bottom? Would you say, I mean, what what event would you say? It would, maybe it was, you know, when your son was born and yeah. you were getting high there. Maybe that was a rock bottom for you. I don't know. What, what would you say would be your rock bottom right. that you said, okay, I, this is, I, yeah. I, I need help and I need to I'm, I'm very fortunate. You know, I think that in AA they called it recovery between the sheets. I kept my own house. I never was on the streets. But for me, rock bottom was one of the last times I got high with before I asked God to help me. Because I, I slipped out of the house and got high and came back in. And my seven-year-old leans against me and asked me why I smell funny. Oh, wow. And I lied to him. And, man, I felt so small. Here I am, a grown man, 42 years old, and I'm lying to a seven-year-old to protect my behavior, you know? And so, so that was kind of my rock bottom, which is not that emotionally, mentally, I, it's, it's pretty low. Physically, it wasn't all that uncomfortable, you know, as far as what I've, I've seen people experience. But for me, that was my... I knew right then I something needed to change. The, the 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 trajectory I was on was not sustainable. That it was not going to turn out well. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I don't have it in me. Right. To stop this. Right. And that's what actually got me interested in seeking a higher power, Jesus Christ specifically, to help me because I was uh, kind of desperate. There was I wasn't cutting it. You know, and so um, I turned to Jesus, and that's when I got clean. So what happened in seven years whenever you came to that part? Was there a, an event that happened? Or, I mean, what was it that led you to say, okay, I've tried this for seven years, can't do it, I need to get real help? I'd ask him to help me, and um, I'd made maybe my two weeks or so, and I went out to get high, and I got hit with the worst headache, one of the worst headaches I ever had in my life kind of a, my Damascus Road experience. And, and why God chose to work that way, I don't know. But that was the last time I used illegal, illegal drugs. So now we talk a lot about God being in our lives and so forth. When would you say, if someone said, hey, you've been a Christian for how long, when would you say that you had an experience with God where you asked God into your life and for him to, you know, to be your savior, yeah. uh, was that during that time yeah, period? September of 1993. You've yeah. got the date. <laughs> I can give you the exact date if you want it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. That's amazing. So that was during that time period. That, yeah. Yeah. It okay. was that. It was that. What well, was probably a week after I had that experience with the headache, because I went, well, if Jesus can do this. What other impact might He have on my life? And that wow. just opened. So. One is eternity. I mean, which that's kind of a huge impact. Absolutely. But, but so I made that commitment to start pursuing him. Um, not that he wasn't already pursuing me, but I decided 
you know, and, and I, I, you know, I clearly remember thinking, this is real. Something happened in Israel 2,000 years ago. This is real. Jesus is real. And it'd be kind of a smart idea to get to know him before, before I go meet him in person, you know. So it, it gave me that impetus to really kind of work on the relationship. Right. Know? Well, it's such a miracle, Craig, whenever we talk about that, and I call it the aha moment, whenever the light goes on, the little light bulb comes on in our head and says, this is real, mm-hmm. something is, you know, and it's really a miracle for you because you really didn't have any upbringing where the your parents were like, hey, you know, let's, I mean, you went to church, but you right. probably didn't really have a concept of what asking Christ into your life was, and so for that to happen the way it did was was quite a miracle. Yeah. Was everything cake and cookies after that, Craig? I mean, so you, you you know you accept Christ and you start now having some longer than a couple weeks sobriety, right. um, and so that's going on in your life. And of course, life is happening and things is going on. Uh, are you are you starting to open up more, uh, being more honest or being more open about your about your life or not? Well, I mean, the short answer is no. Uh, I mean, that was kind of the the issue was. I, I wouldn't share myself. I wouldn't share my emotions. I wouldn't sh- even share a lot about my daily activities, right? And that didn't change immediately, right? But fortunately, God loves me more than just to leave me in that. And so, you know, he he orchestrated some circumstances and, and uh, that kind of put me in a, a place where m- my pain was greater than my fear of change, Um Specifically, I had so you know I, I lived in, in pretty much in a drug culture for 25 years, and there, and there at least for me, there, there's a, a fairly long list of resentments that I build up over that time period, just from friends and family and and everything, and I never dealt with resentments. That's an emotion, you know, and so um, just life circumstances. Uh, particularly the loss of two f- close friends of mine. Uh, one, uh, well, they're both two were to cancer. Um, kind of got me um, thinking about when my dad died, with the, and then there was a lot of turmoil family-wise around that. But also, um, one, one, one of the guys that died was a cousin, like a brother, and he was a, he was a believer, and he was pretty instrumental when I first found found Christ and and, I'm, and he's a doctor he's a highly trained doctor and I, I went I kind of got mad at God just going this doesn't make sense take anybody take me why take Larry you know I mean he, he could do a world of good this does not make sense and so I, it kind of strained my my connection with the Lord and that just that's just let the resentment start running rampant and I'd stay up all night and started getting depressed, but I was just struggling all night. I'd say, I'm thinking about things that happened 20, 30 years before, things I could not change, but things I could not resolve. And um, and so I, I, on some level, I don't know how conscious it was, but on some level I knew I was on the ropes, that if I didn't handle this, that there was a good chance I'd relapse and go back using drugs to cope with these emotions. And that's what uh, the Lord led, led me into celebrate recovery and 12-step process. 
Were you able to avoid relapse or did you just walk into Celebrate Recovery because you were scared of relapse? I walked into Celebrate Recovery because I was scared of relapse. Okay. I, I knew I knew the direction I was headed, I think, on some level. So are you able to, so I'm making an assumption here uh, that your dad didn't express his emotions to you all that well. So no. have you been able to break those chains a little bit? I think so. There's not a text or a phone call we don't express love so do you consider yourself uh or your past you consider would you say i was an addict and if so um is that something that you feel like that you're cured from or how would you approach that yeah that's a good question you know i never my frame of reference reference was never as an addict I have addictive and compulsive behaviors, <laughs> but you know, it wasn't a drug. I, I was a poly drug user. I didn't. It didn't didn't matter which drug it was, just as long as I had a drug to kind of use to cope with life, right? And so, I never saw myself as an addict because I I do believe that physical addiction is true and possible and and very difficult, but. Um, you know, I, that's not how I, I my favorite reference is, and 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 one of the things I like about celebrate recovery is our identity is in in who we are in Christ. Right. Not about my past, not about my struggles, but who we are in Christ. So, you before even coming here to this podcast, were serving in the jail ministry, and so tell me a little bit about that. You get to meet a lot of interesting people. You probably meet some guys that maybe are what we would consider rock bottom in their life. Generally, they're they're a good group of men, um, and it's it's one of those circumstances where God's kind of gotten their attention. Right? What's the saying that God whispers to us in our prosperity? screams at us in our pain, right? Mm. Yeah. And so God's got their attention, and they're responding to that. You know, the challenge for them, as it was for me, is do I open myself up to be vulnerable to other people? When I get out of here, do I do that? Do I search out places where I could be known and know people, or do I go back to the same neighborhood, same people? And get the same results, and and it's a struggle. It's a, a very real struggle. The vast majority of them are extremely honest, and, and and to be honest, some of them have experienced this trauma. I'm kind of going. I mean, I I I use drugs, you know, because my dad died and natural causes and and everything. I'm I'm not sure I would have reacted any better, given life circumstances. Yeah. But so, that, but that said, they're very hungry to to see a different path. So, hopefully, in our classes, we 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 can illustrate that there's a path out there. They have to walk it. I can't walk it for them, right? They're going to have to make that choice once they get free again to engage and walk it. And, and that's a challenge. That's yeah. a, especially for men that have been in in, in incarcerated where trust is. Not a healthy concept. So let me ask you this, the last question. What would you tell the person who is listening to this podcast? They've heard your story, and maybe their life is going in a direction that they see they can look in the crystal ball of their 
predictions and see that their life is headed down the wrong path and that it's going to lead to just even more destruction. Or maybe they've been caught in uh, a sin or been caught in their addiction or their habits, and they're now forced to deal with that. But what would, what advice would you give someone who has realized that they're going the wrong direction? Um, what's the first step? What 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 can they what can they do to to start changing the direction of their life? Well, that's a first step. Well, like you said, you you need to quit digging the hole deeper. <laughs> Easier said than done. Sometimes, though, I, you know, I would. There, there's a uh, podcast or it's a TED talk where uh, makes the point that the the opposite opposite of addiction is not sobriety; it's connection. But I would argue that you need to find a community where you can just be who you are, warts and all, uh, even if you want to change those warts. Because my experience is, is extremely difficult. It was impossible for me to do it on my own. Uh, it may be possible for somebody I don't know, but I haven't met that person yet. Almost everybody I meet in recovery has come to the point where I don't have what it takes to manage my life. And that opens you up to a whole nother world. Um, there is more to this world than just the physical aspect, the chairs we're sitting in and the room we're in and everything. There's, it's, there is a spiritual aspect to it, and tapping into that is extremely rewarding. I'm not talking about financially necessarily, but just spiritually, emotionally, mentally extremely uh, rewarding so um you know they're, they're part of the serenity full serenity prayer says that that the goal is to be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next and i find myself reasonably happy you know that i enjoy my my life but it doesn't mean i still don't have painful things happen but now Rather than trying to go around it or under it or over it or whatever, I just pull Jesus in close to me and say, help me walk through this. Let's walk through this together. And he's been 100% faithful in doing that for me. So, so. Thanks, Craig, for sharing your story with us today. At the beginning of the podcast, I quoted the Apostle Paul from Romans. Let me end with another quote from Paul. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 7, 24 and 25. Hey, if you are listening today and you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, you are at the rock bottom and you want out. Maybe it's time to stop digging. Maybe it's time to throw away the shovel. Maybe it's time to change. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.